hey listeners for this recording we had several technical issues so we have almost the entire podcast but are missing the like first little bit so i'm gonna skip the intro and uno was present for the conversation but was not able to record themselves and the program that we use to record everyone normally just crapped out on us so we have my audio and Alex's audio and Evan's audio, uh, but we will probably have to do some cuts to uh, account for Una's audio just uh, disappearing into the ether. So anyway, enjoy. Today, uh, we are talking about, I think, a pretty classic show. A lot of people have uh, seen it from Toonami, a uh, show with giant robots and a Batman-like aesthetic. It's uh, The Big O. Do any of you have previous experience with The Big O? Did you watch it on Toonami at all? Um, I rewatched most of it for this, and that was... Um, like, I watched it on Big O in pieces, and then I watched the whole thing through, like... I don't know, like seven, eight years ago or something when I was in college. Um, so, yeah, I've seen it like one and a half, two times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm i not extremely well-versed with anime, but I, I like some of the bigger hits. You know, I, I caught a lot of stuff on Toonami, Adult Swim, uh, like uh, Cowboy Bebop and Trigun and a little bit of Inuyasha. Uh, but I... This is just one of the other ones that was in the background, like on the on the list that I, I saw the name of, but I never actually watched it. Uh, the Big O doesn't sound exactly enticing, <laughs> so I I never actually turned it on. But I'm I'm really happy you invited me to do this episode because I fucking loved it. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think it was all also on at like twelve thirty, so you had to like mm. really stay up late to watch it. I definitely missed a bunch of episodes by falling asleep before it came on. Um, yeah, like I, I instantly liked the animation a lot, uh, but when the opening scene of the first episode, when like the camera is following like uh, Roger Smith's car, and then it pans up to show a skyscraper just like falling over, leaning against another skyscraper, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, okay, this show rules. I, I love it already. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but like um, rewatching a bunch of it this past week. I liked it a lot more than I ever have. Same, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Something about it really clicked with me this time. Yeah, I think there's like more. There's more themes than I noticed the first time that I watched it because I mean I was probably like sixteen or seventeen when it came on originally, so I would I would not yeah. have noticed that kind of thing. But um, I do remember liking the Schwarzwald character. Uh, the first time I watched it, but I, I like him yeah, even more he now. Rules. He's he fucking rules. <laughs> he kicks ass. He's yeah. the Joker. He is the Joker. He's he's the Joker wearing Harley Quinn's outfit. <laughs> um, I I I love how much is going on in this show. I only watched about three episodes of it, but it's got so many like 
I don't know, I, I say this lovingly, but it's like stealing from so many different things. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I like about it a Cowboy lot. Bebop, too. Yeah, well, which, I mean, Cowboy Bebop came before this, is that correct? It came, they came out in the same year, actually. Um, but it didn't same come to year, the U.S. So until the, two years after it came out in Japan. Okay, it's the same voice actor uh, yes. for the dub yeah. as Spike. Spike has the, it's yes. the same. I recognized it instantly. That's another great Roger thing about Smith it. Is voiced by the it's uh, Steve Bloom, same actor, and then and then also his like former commanding officer has the exact same facial hair as Jet. That weird ass like mutton chop Spike thing. Um, but yeah, it's obviously like it's it's obviously like taking from Blade Runner with like the android love interest, but also like the focus on memories. Um, you know, in Blade Runner, uh, they don't have amnesia, but there is sort of this ambiguity as to the validity of your own memories. And there's a specific scene in the first episode where uh, he's conversing with the android, uh, I can't remember her name, Dorothy, and uh, his former commanding officer comes in and he's like looking at uh, Roger's photos on the mantle and Roger says, hey, don't you know it's it's rude to go through other people's stuff? And the commanding officer says, hey, well, how do you even know that these are your real memories? And that reminds me of one of my favorite scenes in Blade Runner when, like, Deckard is kind of questioning whether his own memories are alive because Rachel has been shown to have false memories implanted and even, like, false photographs that she thinks are, you know, of her past. And he's kind of looking over his own photographs on the mental mantle and, like, you can kind of tell that there's some sort of, like, dissonance inside his, inside his brain at that moment. And I, I don't know if it's a direct rip off of that scene but uh i it's strong vibes strong strong similar vibes i definitely yeah. didn't make that connection that's really interesting this show is sort of the best case example that you can just take a lot of things you like and kind of half haphazardly throw them in a blender and come out with something like pretty good um because it's it's drawing from obviously a lot of like classic super robot mm-hmm. stuff like Mazinger and Rydeen and things like that and obviously the Batman stuff but then it also has like all this like Truman Show stuff yeah. going on um, <clears throat> and the Truman Show came out a couple years before um, this really hit production full swing so I'm inclined to believe that it, it is a direct influence but I can't say for sure and then um, obviously there's like a lot of Evangelion in this as well which is kind of the case for every late 90s mecha anime yeah. uh, that came after. Um, but there's tons of, like, shots uh, and scenes that are, like, direct, like, one-for-one recreations, mm. almost, of uh, certain certain scenes in, in Evangelion. Um, like, when um, Roger and Schwartzfeld have their big showdown after Schwartzfeld gets a big duo, like, somewhere towards the end of the, the first season, um... Like, there's actually recreations of bits from the fight in Evangelion against um, Toji's Ava. I think it's Unit 3 or 4. 4, I think. Um, where he rips out the chest plate and, like, crushes his head. And, and it's like... Uh, there's a shot where you see the chest plate fly backwards towards the camera and hit the ground. And it's, like, the exact same scene <laughs> from Evangelion. Has anybody seen, uh, or has everybody seen Dark City from 1998? I saw it a long time ago on an airplane. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <clears throat> the whole amnesia thing uh, and, like, the weird, 
like heightened Gotham setting. You know, it's it's beyond Gotham. It's not just like a city with poverty and crime. It's like a city that's fucking crumbling because nobody can remember how to keep society together. Uh, and that and they have domes for rich people to like protect them from climate change, basically. Yeah, but they yeah. they don't know it or something. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Dark yeah. City is like this weird heightened city where nobody can really imagine a world outside of the city, and nobody talks about what happened yesterday. Nobody talks about what's going to happen tomorrow. Like everybody's got these dreams that they're just vaguely referring to. You know, one day I'm going to go to Myrtle Beach or whatever. And he actually like one of the guys wakes up up from this like hypnosis that is all over the city and kind of discovers that it's just being controlled by these weird uh uh aliens with uh like master race of aliens with um what telekinetic (laughs) and telepathic powers that are just like controlling the city uh yeah i i would strongly reminiscent of that for me which came out in 1998 so the year before this is kind of an aside but uh as someone who lives on the east coast it's kind of funny to like dream of going to myrtle beach <laughs> to me maybe it was pismo beach i don't remember what beaches you guys have okay there. they're not real beaches anyway that would probably be a much better beach <laughs> i took a bunch of notes while i was uh watching it the last few days and <clears throat> um well before i get into that real quick uh can we have a shout out for how good art deco inspired mech design mm. is like yeah this really needs to be a thing. Uh, I think the Big O is probably one of the best looking mech designs. It's Art, art Deco anything. and Popeye, I think. Like, I think he looks uh, exactly like Popeye, <laughs> including his, like, the piston punch thing. It's yeah. just like if Popeye ate a bunch of spinach and, like, his arm, you know, his muscle, like, swelled up and, like, went towards his <laughs> fist. But, yeah, something, something that's, like, continually... Uh, because I knew, kind of, the arc of the show, having seen it before, and how it ends and everything, I paid a lot of attention to the themes of, like, acting and stage production and things like that, Uh, re-watching it, and it's really interesting because the show kind of seems to be making this case for simulation and reality being kind of interchangeable. Um, At the finale, or either the premiere of the second season, when there's the uh, kind of the dream sequence where Roger is walking through pre-apocalypse Manhattan, uh, and he's sort of like lost his identity, um, and he's trying to figure out like whose memories are these, like what is this place, and the conclusion he sort of comes to, um, and is almost the conclusion that the show reaches at the end, after things reset, is like if you are playing a role, whether that's dictated by, like, the circumstances of uh, your life or one that's, like, being directly prescribed to you, it sort of doesn't really matter. And he kind of just chooses to embrace the role, which, you know, I mean, he's a he's a rich asshole with, like, a big robot and a butler, so that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but I, there's, like, an interesting tension where it's, like, I don't really need the thing he comes to is like i don't really care what happened in the past because like i'm living in the present and and the the future um it's weird though he's like he's a rich asshole but also possibly like a mass-produced clone just something that it shows in like uh, several memories that like in the finale of the second season they show like literally a production line making roger smith Mm. 
But then also, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. he's in a photo with Gordon Rosewater, the founder of Paradigm City, shaking his hand. So it's not, yeah, it's not clear. Like, I don't know. I, I read this. Uh, I'm kind of skipping ahead in the notes a little bit, but I read this article right before I went on here and they were talking about the finale and a lot of people were very pissed about the finale um, because it does do the whole like they're in a simulation thing but this article is saying like they kind of it seems like the authors are like piling up mysteries that don't intend to like come to a firm conclusion about everything about anything but um so it says uh, to to arrive at an answer would strip the world of its wonder to force one possible conclusion to deny ourselves of the inexplicable but self-affirming ability to stand in the rain without an umbrella, as Roger put it. So, so something on that is I, I was reading a little bit about um, the show while it was airing <clears throat> because I remember reading that uh, the second season was in part financed by Toonami at the time because it was a bigger hit internationally. Um, and I'd read that they had actually been in discussion to extend the series by an entire 26-episode run that would be written by the head series writer, um, Kanaka, um, <clears throat> who, who's also the writer on, like, Lane and Technolize and a few other things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if they knew by the end of the second season that they weren't getting that extension or if he had sort of written himself into this weird place and then the second half of the show might have been dealing with the world after the reset but i'm interested it's 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 a little bit of a twin peak scenario where the second season uh was kind of mandated that they solve all the mysteries and then it ends up getting canceled because people don't like when that happens <laughs> Yeah, if you look at people's reaction to the series, like reviews on my anime list and stuff, um, they are very, very mad about the finale. <laughs> uh, they just wanted, I think they wanted it to be like just episodic Batman stuff the whole time. I have a question about um, the, uh, since we're talking about Roger Smith's identity, um, the scene that I was referencing where it has photos of him with like his commanding officer and you know, from the past, but he, he's not in a position to remember the past because of the amnesia that everybody has. Doesn't the amnesia only date back 40 years ago? Why, how old is Roger yeah. Smith that he wouldn't remember photos of himself as an adult with his former commanding officer? Hmm. So the way I was kind of seeing it was that, uh, Everybody in Paradigm City is not the original incarnation of who they're playing. That those people are being preserved in some way by regurgitating or recirculating their memories into the kids and like the clone bodies. Um, to what end, you know, we don't really get like a firm answer. Um, but I, that's how I kind of wow. saw it was that like Roger Smith's memories from you know the the military captain had been had been put in the roger smith we know because it is they do reference like in i only saw three episodes like i said but in one of the episodes they talk about the old people behaving weirdly and i guess the old people would be the only people to have actually experienced the quote real amnesia 
So maybe mm-hmm. that's the difference uh, there is that these younger people, even though they have like they had identities before the amnesia, it's not the same body. Yeah, I haven't watched enough of it to know whether or not they're forgetting things that happened a year ago or two years ago or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of confusing parts to it, and I think I think we're not supposed to like fully understand everything that's happening because I think there is a there's a lot of contradictions in what they're saying yeah. too. Well, I mean, this show was like yeah. kind of it started off as a toy commercial, right? It's a it's a Bandai thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I I like interpreting the the you know internal conflicts or the plot holes or the illogic of the show. I like interpreting it as oh it's mysterious. I think that's that's right. the best and most fun way to interpret it rather than nobody actually was invested in like producing art or anything like that. If the show like is about amnesia and and questioning your identity or whatever then like the illogic of the show itself seems to fit. Yeah, because uh, yeah, another thing that that article set what pointed out that like was uh, even though we sympathize the most with Schwarzwald, who's like the cool Chad who's trying to you know get to the bottom of all the mysteries, narratively, uh, Roger's philosophy ultimately wins out, and it's just like it doesn't matter what the mysteries are, just live your fucking life. Mm, yeah. So uh, <laughs> the head writer Kanaka um, was. So the show was originally conceived of as a literal toy commercial. Like the creator had this straight up. He like went to producers at sunrise and was like, yo, I have these cool mech designs. Do you want to sell these? And then they were like, (laughs) sure, let's find someone to write a show. Um, And Kanaka is aside from the anime and tokusatsu work he's done. He's also like a Cthulhu mythos writer. Oh, wow. um, Which on one hand, you know, has troubling implications, <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, I think does speak to the sense that, like, he's interested in writing mysteries that don't necessarily have clear answers. Uh, he kind of just likes that uncomfortable weirdness. <clears throat> that, and there's That uncomfortable weirdness is also present in just the theme song, or, like, maybe, like, aimlessness or lack of effort that works in the end which is the lyrics i was i was you know i listened to the theme song the three times i watched the episode and i was looking up the lyrics uh because he's obviously singing in english he's he's a japanese singer but he's singing in english so i was like what is he saying like i'm pretty sure i heard him say like uh you know cast in the shape of god or cast by the grace of god or whatever which is you know my as close as I can remember to the prompt message that comes on to the big O whenever Roger Smith uh, logs in. Yeah, it's uh, cast in the name of God, ye not guilty. Yeah. yeah, so the lyrics are cast in the name of God, and then the next thing the Japanese singer says in English is, I don't care, I don't care. <laughs> and the actual translation <laughs> is like, yeah, ye not guilty, and it has all this, like, you know... Uh, <laughs> Technical lyricism, but the singer in English just says, I don't care, I don't care, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that rules. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, the theme song threw me off when I was watching it this go-around because they cut it out completely of the Toonami run. Mm. The show just started with no theme song. And, like, to me, the mood of the song is, like, very, very different from the mood of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's the verse part almost sounds like a thinner, more garage rock version of Thump by Presidents of the United States of, the Amer- of America. Or Lump, sorry. It's just like ba da ba da ba da Oh, then, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and then when the, the chorus comes in, it's like such a weird, like drum beat it, it feels like a song that like all four members of the band wrote their parts separately and just laid them over each other it's very weird <laughs> did anyone find the pacing in the first season kind of weird like there's a lot of episodes especially the um like case of the week ones where things just kind of happen and like you can sort of intuit how you got from point a to point c but there's very clearly no point b it was it was very strange. Where it was like, you know, uh, the episode with the big uh, like electric eel at the hydroelectric power mm-hmm. plant, where Roger's like, oh, there's a you know monster, and then the next scene he's like in the lab and he's just like, oh, this person, the person who broke in is pretty good, and it's like, how? The- wait, what? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that in episode there? in particular, I did I did notice that. There is, yeah, some continuity issues. Well, the the episode where I noticed that is in the, uh, I think the twelfth episode. That's the uh, the what's his name, the guy, the guy that you like, the villain that you like. His episode, Schwartzwald. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just starts off with the the mech battle, and I was like, right. You just like insert it into the scene, and then and he's like approaching the mummy robot, which has just got is such a. Were they like running out of themes for robots by that point? <laughs> <laughs> like we've done a plant, we've done an eel, we've done a uh, a, a, a lobster with tentacles. Uh, we'll do a mummy one. It'll be a we've werewolf a next week. Uh, Big O's kind yeah, of well, Frankenstein. Yeah, well, like covered in bandages, so he's yeah. like, I gotta look the part, right? <laughs> gotta cover my mech in bandages. I wonder too. how long it took him to wrap his mech in bandages. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then when he's fighting the mummy, and then all of a sudden the mummy's hand, like what's, you know, it's covered in bandages, the bandages unwrap over the hand, and there's just a, a propeller that's like a saw blade. <laughs> it's like, how is, this, how is this a mummy? I don't understand what is going on. Uh, but then later it's revealed that it's... We don't, we don't remember. It was 40 years ago. Alex, you obviously have never studied the process of mummification <laughs> in ancient Egypt. Uh, they always put a propeller on their hand so that they could make it through, you know, the river of death. <laughs> uh, and then, he, and then uh, Roger Smith just calls him. He's like, you're just some dumb mummy. I'm like, hell yeah. Like, not only are you, d- like, using the, the design of a mummy, you're also just acknowledging that, yeah, it's a big robot mummy. <laughs> I love the scene where uh, Schwarzwald decides to host like an eyes wide shut party in the dome, and then uh, yeah, it's not like eyes like wide shut type stuff. Showing yeah. Roger, he's like, "Look, this is the decadence of the city you're protecting," and like, it's basically just like some guy drinking a martini True. and some some woman just like dancing. Like, it's it's very tame and normal and like not a big deal. <laughs> Right. Well, I think yeah. the woman dancing on the table was like meant to be her stripping, but they just couldn't actually show her taking off the clothes or whatever. Um, but there are are they like being poisoned <laughs> or or like spiked because they're drunk and they're like laughing and falling over each other, but they're also like drooling maniacally and their eyes are bulging. It seemed like I don't know he had spiked them with even like more uh, rich oppressor juice or something. 
Uh, <laughs> and then how he gets them. This was the most one oh. of the most Batman <laughs> things to me was all the all the uh, the masks. What do you call them? The the masquerade yes. masks that they're all wearing. Uh, they just light a fire and like blast the people's faces off, and they're like screaming while their faces are on fire. <laughs> and I was like, that's fu- that's hardcore. Um, but it, yeah, it reminded me strongly of like a bat something a Batman villain would do, like like it, you know it, uh, the Riddler. Everybody who has the the thing on their TV now they're like giving up their memories. Everybody at the party, uh, you know, at the Joker <laughs> at the Joker's party is getting gassed. Yeah, or when he litters the city with his uh, his like pamphlet, where it's basically like, "Every you're all idiots. I'm the only I'm the only cool guy in town. Get fucked." Mm. <laughs> like he doesn't he's he's not disseminating any information. He's just bragging on that pamphlet. <laughs> oh yeah, I tried to transcribe the pamphlet. I think I have it somewhere in the notes, but it was very difficult to read because it was like in the water oh you know there actually is a good line from that episode i think this was from the pamphlet i I have written in my notes it's imagination and memory are but one thing which for diverse considerations hath diverse names it's like an interesting idea of looking at the way people are being propagandized too with uh the memory like almost commodification that's happening in Paradigm City. Yeah, you just wake up and suddenly yeah. find yourself in the middle of a mech battle, and you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> One thing I will say, for the argument that the amnesia is, like, continuous, it didn't just happen 40 years ago, but it's, like, an ongoing thing, is, like, every single episode when Big O shows up, uh, his former commanding officer, he goes, What? A big O, and it's like, or a, a mega deuce. What? And it's like this thing erupts out of the ground every day and levels three buildings every single day. Uh, at some point, he just knows that it's Roger piloting it, but they never have a moment where he learns because it's like very clear he doesn't know who's driving it. And then at some point, it's like, oh yeah, it's Roger. I've always known it's Roger. I was like, what? I do wonder how they don't just have holes everywhere throughout the city well but- i mean we see like buildings just half collapsed in the background that's just like a permanent fixture of the city in the very first episode and that's one thing that i loved about the the setting and the tone of it so yeah i mean because there's so many domes like there's it seems like there's a bunch of different manhattans like there's one mm-hmm. under each dome and so yeah maybe like very different domes are just more obliterated than others has anyone seen uh synecdoche new york the Charlie Kaufman film with Philip Seymour Hoffman? Not yet. I have not. I've been meaning to see that for 10 years. <laughs> it's it's really good. Uh, it builds a lot on the ideas in Truman Show. Um, and Big O actually kind of reminded me of it almost more than Truman Show. The basic idea is Philip Seymour Hoffman's like a theater director. And he decides to do like an immersive theater project where he recreates a city block of Manhattan in like an airport hangar. Uh, and then it sort of just keeps growing and growing out of control until there's basically a second simulated world in this, like, warehouse on the docks. <laughs> uh, the domes kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, it sounds like a fascinating premise because it's like his his uh, obsession with detail or his obsession with, like, recreating reality, just like you said, spirals out of control. Um, so let's see. 
Uh, I have a bunch of notes for like uh, analysis type stuff. This this is another show where like uh, I intended to watch it and just turn my brain off and just talk about how cool it was to have giant robot fights and stuff. Uh, but yeah, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of interesting things to think about in it. Um, one of the things I have here that I thought was really interesting was, uh, I think this is from the very first episode, uh, where Roger is trying to negotiate with, uh, the kidnappers for Dorothy. And, uh, mm-hmm. he says, this piece looks expensive. It's worth more than a hundred grand. Okay, for the sake of argument, let's say that someone wants to buy this and you agree to sell it. You quote them the amount you just mentioned. Now then, when the prospective buyer gladly, eagerly agrees to the price, what goes through your mind? Darn, I should have asked for more. (laughs) Be honest, isn't that what you'd think? (sighs) You see, it's no different with kidnappers. As long as you keep giving in to their demands, they'll hang on to them indefinitely if they choose. What am I to do? Haggle. You haggle and haggle, making the kidnappers think your son isn't worth that much to you. That way you give yourself an edge. Just like I think that's part of his like his his affect is that of like a cool, aloof guy, you know, who Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't have really any many, if any, uh, personal connections. And it's I think meant he's meant to be cast as like this, you know, stoic loner, you know, mm-hmm. a la Rick Deckard or a la Batman. Um, but it comes off as he's just an asshole. Like I like assholes in, in film, you know, mm-hmm. anti-heroes or whatever. Like they can be endearing. They can be cocky. They can be jerks. Uh, and I would still like them. But uh, Steve Rogers is like fairly contemptible in my mind because like the the class analysis that i had about especially uh episode 11 which i don't know if we were going to go into on in detail but that was probably my favorite episode it's the one with the busker uh Mm -hmm. who gets the the plant seed or whatever um there's just a lot of weird class politics in this and you know they're walking by the busker steve rogers not Steve Rogers, God damn it, Roger <laughs> Smith, uh, walking by the busker, and he says, "Oh, there goes the next, you know, the next uh, virtuoso saxophone virtuoso," and he flips a coin directly into the horn of the busker saxophone, <laughs> like he's doing him a favor. And I'm like, "That's a that's kind of a shitty move to do, right?" That's yeah, like it is. throwing a dollar into someone's mouth when they're asking <laughs> you for help, you know? Uh, yeah, there's like a weird thing where you get the sense that part of why he left the military police is because he was sort of disgusted with the paradigm company slash government, um, sort of just using them as like a private security force. And, you know, there's constant like, Oh, well you're, you know, you were told to only protect the domes. You don't care about who happened, what happens to the people outside. And he's like very, uh, protective of the people outside the domes but then in that episode, he's talking to Dorothy at one point where he's just like, yeah, that guy doesn't have any talent. He sucks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, I have Bucko. that quote here. And it, it felt almost out of character. Um, even though he is an asshole, he's never like, yeah, fuck these poor people. Yeah, he's he's a pretty big asshole throughout that whole episode. He's like, they're talking about the Heaven's Day celebration, which is like their, their Christmas. But just Heaven's Day sounds so much more ominous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
it's like it's like ominous and i don't know it's so effective it's such an it's effective christmas but the present holiday. is poisoned kool-aid yeah it's christmas but it's like stripped of any of the uh facade that it's about like caring for i mean i guess it is that part of the traditions are involved in that but when you call it heaven's day you're just like no we're doing this day to get into heaven <laughs> like and and you're obsessed with the afterlife much like the heaven's gate people were yeah <laughs> and it's just like it's it sounds like heaven's gate to me and i think they might even say heaven's gate at one point yeah they do i, th I think where the big christmas tree is literally called heaven's gate yeah it's incredibly in, like in sinister mall. i love that part but uh yeah he's um the busker who is like poor and feeding his his blind wife in, or girlfriend instead of himself. He's like pretending to eat ham while she's eating the only slice of ham. It's like a really endearing scene. Roger Smith meets up with him to investigate this like terrorism, act of terrorism that's possibly going to happen. And in an, like out of, out of desperation, uh, the busker Oscar or is that his name? Yeah, Oliver. He uh, Oliver. he wants to sell Roger the the magic egg seed thing because it looks like a jewel, and he needs money to buy uh, his girlfriend a Christmas gift. And Roger says, "Hey, you shouldn't take the easy way out. It's not artistic." <laughs> so he's cool. <laughs> Uh, Roger uh, Oliver is just trying to engage in capitalism. Yeah, he's just trying, he's trying to, to pull himself up by his bootstraps by selling this. Please, sir, will you purchase my commodity? <laughs> yeah, and and Roger is like, no, you have to be hungry because you're an artist. Do you think you could buy this? Uh, it's real nice and pretty, don't you think? You really shouldn't take the easy way out. It's not artistic. Like, that's just the way it works. But also, <laughs> Roger doesn't think he has any talent. Yes. <laughs> he's like, he's never going to make it, so, like, you know, he can starve. The quote is, he says <laughs> after this, the... he says, Dorothy, do you think that Oliver has any talent? If you mean his saxophone, then no. The youth. You must use your pent-up energy to brave your way through the harshness of reality. What's that? It's Roger Smith's rule. Number two. I'm like, you fucking rat bastard. <laughs> Inside of your mansion, telling this dude who is starving to feed his girlfriend, who has a real job. He's not just a busker. He has a real job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like a trash guy. He's a sanitation worker, which if this is an analog for for Gotham, which is an analog for New York City, Oliver should be part of a very powerful union and make a decent wage. <laughs> That's part of what they lost in the amnesia. Yeah, they forgot what bargaining power was. Oh my God, the amnesia is neoliberalism. I love like Rogers like, I, for, uh, I forgot how I got all my money. You know, you forgot how to organize collectively and wield your, your working class force against the employer. But hey, I also forgot how I got all this money. So, you know, I probably earned it. Yeah, he literally like walks into his house, which used to be a bank. And his butler is like, oh, hey, I'm your butler. Here's all this money. There's a giant robot downstairs. Let's fucking get it, dude. And he's like, damn, I guess this is mine. Yeah, um, there was some cool... It's like, so I just watched Joker last night, 
And if Joker is the Batman universe explored through the eyes of like the underclass or the like agitated class, this TV show seems like the Joker universe explained through the upper class. Because the extreme inequality and egomania of the upper class in Joker, which is just a completely heightened reality where everybody is like a hair's breadth away from beating the shit out of Joker for being poor. <laughs> uh, this is that same dynamic, but just ex expressed through the lens of Roger, who is part of the ruling class, and it's like softened only slightly. It's it's like glossed over only slightly, but all the egomania, all the wealth inequality is still there. I, I also love in this episode uh, the part where he's talking to Oliver... Uh, he and Dorothy are talking to Oliver and Oliver's girlfriend, whose name I don't remember, sorry. Uh, and they're talking about Heaven's Day. And uh, the girlfriend is saying, yeah, the older people in town gather over there and they sing uh, out of a book. And they don't know what they're singing and they don't know who they're singing to or what they're praising, but they just feel compelled to do it. And the camera pans over there and it's a church. It's like a hollowed out church and there's a tilted cross at the top. There's a, literally a crooked cross at the top of the church. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, as, as a former edgy atheist, this was a very like compelling scene to me. Just a bunch of people mindlessly gathering to like preserve a tradition that they don't even know what it means. They just feel compelled. Like they don't even know that they're worshiping anything. And, but they're just like going through these motions because it feels meaningful to them. Uh, and he walks over there to the church and he doesn't know what the church is either. He's just like looking for clues or whatever. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, a, almost like a heart wrenching scene. Yeah. And that where Steve um, Smith, where Roger Smith chooses to live in the present, is like uh, just accepting false consciousness or whatever. There's I, uh, two quick points. One, the uh, speaking of the religious uh, imagery, the episode where the uh, Russian satellite crashes down into the city um, that they refer to as like an angel. Um, uh, I really enjoyed that whoever dubbed this show went out of their way to cast a single Irish person <laughs> to be like the devout... Catholic guy. That's cool. <laughs> they, they definitely a choice someone made. Um, but yeah, the other thing is I kind of got thinking about like this show being written in the late 90s. And there's a line from uh, episode 16 where Roger says that everyone had been living their lives with no future and no past for 40 years. And that kind of got me thinking about like you know like the end of history mm -hmm. that's which is very literally what they're living in where they can't conceive of anything past where they are because they have no frame of reference outside of the present um it's been like literally taken away from them i think this reinforces my point that the amnesia is neoliberalism <laughs> yeah yeah or the amnesia is like the mechanism by you know by which neoliberalism sustains itself mm -hmm. um yeah, because I, I I love that that was pointed out by several of you. Yeah, that uh, the guy can't. Oliver is a sanitation worker, and but he can't be part of a union because he has no memory of class consciousness or organization or whatever. And uh, Steve, 
God, I keep calling him Steve fucking Rogers. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Paradigm. And Roger Smith is just like born into wealth and he doesn't know why, uh, but sure, he likes it. It's pretty cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like there's no justification for him being wealthy, but he doesn't need one either because nothing is justified. Yeah, actually, I have a note in here. Uh, At one point, uh, Schwarzwald says about the mega deuses, You don't need a master? Or do they choose their own master? Do we control them? Or do they control us, Roger Smith? When I first heard that line, I was like, oh, that's just like a, you know, edgy, like, vaguely anti-authoritarian guy thing to say. But I think there is some meaning that you can take from that, which is like, uh, like, it doesn't matter what he thinks he's doing, because ultimately what he's doing is fulfilling the purpose of the mech, which is to, like, fight people like he and and it's his like his class position that kind of determines what he actually does it's not Mm -hmm. really his free will and his whole thing is no i have free will like i get to choose what i want to do but it's not like he could use the giant robot to like uh rebuild the city to help poor people that's what's so funny is like at one point he just craters an entire like four rate four block radius of the city in order to do a fake out move on the other robot <laughs> like he the other the the big duo can fly it's like the the one that Schwartzweld has uh can fly and so i don't know he comes up it's not really explained but roger smith is on the ground and he he figures out a way to like make his big o jump into the air high enough that he can repel from the top of the dome and get like the high ground um but he does this by like using his eye lasers at like their full capacity from the ground and then it just (laughs) explodes and craters the ground that he's on and the other robot is like oh he vaporized himself along with like i don't know probably hundreds of people cool and he's like ah not not so look up he's just hanging from the ceiling hanging from the dome and it's like okay i guess i guess you're gonna save the city that way kind of they mention in uh what is it episode five that there were uh, the the people in the domes were actually trying to buy up lots of land outside the domes to expand them, and then it had caused like rioting. Uh, they don't touch too much on that, but it is it is interesting that they're you know they are thinking of the fact that like this isn't like a static situation. Yeah either the class discrepancy like the domes are kind of growing and swallowing the parts of the city and and pushing people you know further out on on the edges well i don't understand are there people outside the domes i thought the domes contained like the whole society no most of the poor people live outside the domes okay the domes are there for like air quality yes and maybe to for protection from like stuff that falls from the sky yeah, and like um, it looks like most of the like maintenance and infrastructure repairs happening pretty much inside the domes. Like we've said a bunch that outside the domes is sort of just constantly in disrepair, and they have artificial sunlight in the domes. Um, the episode eleven that I was talking about earlier, uh, that's like an eco-terrorist narrative, uh, deliberately or uh, you know objectively. Yeah. It's the special the magic seed that looks like a jewel that oliver tries to sell to roger it it contains like a monster plant 
uh, and the guy who sold it to him was like a, or the guy who gave it to him was like a mad scientist who had regained his memories. I think that's probably like a recurring theme is like the villains are the ones who he's dressed as Santa. That's right. Uh, the villains are the ones who like remember what actually happened. You know, they've, they've like attained the, uh, the, what do you call it? The, um, the, you know they've eaten from the tree of of knowledge yeah, like they've, yeah. they've sinned against god by re- retaining their memories and and for some reason remembering what happened before makes them really fucking hate paradigm city so uh that's an interesting discre- uh uh what do you call it that's that's an interesting thing that happens but anyway so yeah. The he's talking about a return, you know, the, the we need to return to nature or whatever and the seed grows into like this this plant monster that once Steve once Roger defeats it is just a giant Christmas tree. Yeah, I forget did it have ornaments on it too? It had like fake yeah, had holly lights. like w- like wreaths or or <laughs> tinsel on it. It's a really advanced plant. <laughs> I was insane. Like I loved that episode. I thought it was like fairly deep it's definitely and one of like awe inspiring. Yeah. And that it ends with a giant the monster turning into a giant Christmas tree. <laughs> that episode and a couple others have very like intense cowboy bebop yeah. energy. Like they should have just gone with like a giant snowman mech or something. Yeah. Or like um, a candy cane monster. <laughs> I'm going to make a uh, reference to a show that I talk about probably a little too much on this podcast, but uh, it uh, the remembering things before everyone got amnesia and going crazy makes me think of Dr. Stone, uh, where uh, the main villain, Tsukasa, is kind of like an Anprim type, and he realizes that like uh, in the in the future that they're in, uh, everyone is like petrified and some people have woken up and he thinks that they should not wake up anyone uh, who was like a rich person in the past because they will remember immediately. I used to own this land. Uh, you owe me rent and they would re- recreate class society. And uh, that of course makes him a villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds reasonable. Um, Can we talk about the gender politics very briefly? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I only watched three of these episodes, but just the relationship between Roger and Dorothy was, like, really interesting, or just Dorothy's character in general. Um, episode 11 opens with her being sensitive about her weight because she's an android who weighs, like, 300 pounds. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this show talking about? Like, my first introduction to Dorothy was the first episode, where she's, like, making fun of Roger, saying, I doubt you could make me do anything I I didn't want to do because you're a mere human, and I'm a fucking android, and I'm, like, a million times stronger than you. Uh, And then in this episode, jump to her being, like, shy to get on an elevator because she reaches the weight capacity and then steps off when the alarm goes off and runs away crying. (laughs) It's like, okay. I mean, I don't know much about this character, but I don't think she would be sensitive about her massive, like, power and weight uh, just because she's molded in the shape of a girl in a dress. Uh, And then another thing that happens in that episode... 
uh, is when they're talking to Oliver and his girlfriend. Uh, they, you know, Roger says, "Hey, you make a great couple," and Oliver says, "Hey, you too." You know about Roger and Dorothy, and he's like, "Oh wait, no, uh, I think you got the wrong idea." You know, we're not a couple. And then Oliver says, "Hey, you shouldn't say that." And it's well, it's like, okay, they're not a couple, though. I don't think. But then Dorothy says, "Don't worry, I get it all the time," or "It's okay, I'm used to it." Now you two make a great couple. Hmm? Uh, you've got the wrong idea. Hey, that's not nice to say, right? I'm used to it. So yeah, she's like mad about yeah. him not calling her his girlfriend, even though they don't have that relationship. Pretty early in the show, um, like maybe around halfway through the first season, Dorothy pretty much asks Roger, like, if I was a human or we'd met under different circumstances, like, could we have been an item? And she's, you know, kind of confesses her love to him. And he's just sort of like, wow, that really took me by surprise. <laughs> yeah. And then it just ends there, and I think there's, like, one or two other times she asks him that, and, you know, there's, like, a sense that they grow closer as she becomes more human over the course of the show, but I don't think it ever resolves that, where she's just sort of, you know, all right, um, I guess guess I'll eat shit. (laughs) Yeah, she seems like a vessel for, like, what the writers think feminine energy is, which is being self-conscious about, like, your looks and wanting whatever man is closest to you to, like, wife you up immediately. Through the series, they have this book, Metropolis, which I think that alone was interesting. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a reference to the movie Metropolis because it has this very similar font for the title. And uh, that, and I mean, the Art Deco style of the show evokes that as well. Yeah, yeah, and and the whole book is about like the underclass that makes technological society possible. Um, but in the show, it's supposed to be the history of Paradigm City, and we see uh, multiple different authors uh, for the book, like throughout the show, um, and then and also at one point, Gordon Rosewater, who's like supposed to be the founder of the city, and also like a senile old man. Uh, says like everything in that book is is a lie, and then in the finale, he takes the book and he he tells Angel that she has the power to unlock the memories prior to forty years ago, and then she like grows wings and they fly into like this like simulation type thing. It's like a big like three D grid, and uh, he holds the book up and he calls on the true author of the book to fill the pages with memories, and then like the very last scene. Uh, we see the book again, and it says Metropolis by, instead of Gordon Rosewater, I think was supposed to be the original author. This time it's Angel Rosewater. Yeah. And uh, then you see Angel sitting in front of a bunch of monitors, and she's like watching uh, everything in Paradigm City. And she, like, like a single tear falls down her face, and then she like resets everything. And I think there's like a poster for the big O on the wall behind her. Is that right? I don't remember that, but uh, Roger and Dorothy are are in the room with her as well. I forgot. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that predates Matrix Revolutions and Matrix, you know, re reloaded or whatever. Yeah, actually, yeah. Wait, that's crazy. Wait, did it come out? I wonder in 2004? how influenced uh, the Wachowskis are were by that because, I mean, she's obviously like 
doing the same thing that the architect is in that scene and then by resets everything do you mean that she resets the memories or what like uh she uh she goes into this megadeus called uh, big venus and everything sort of disappears and then you just see like this big empty 3d grid and uh then it cuts to like the very first scene from episode one, but like slightly different. Wow! I mean, that's that's yeah, the matrix. That's like, what happens. The architect yeah. reset the or the the chosen one is meant to reset the matrix. Very interesting. Yeah, in the final scene, it's like Roger driving his car down the street, doing his typical opening yeah. narration of like Paradigm City, City with Amnesia, but he doesn't have the big O watch anymore. Damn! And I think the final book of the uh, dark tower series comes after this too <laughs> so <laughs> very interesting very interesting i Ima- imagine so they were all ripping off big o <laughs> yeah no that's crazy because i started this conversation by saying that big o was just ripping off all these other things and i mean shit maybe one of the biggest like franchises of our age the matrix ripped off the big o <laughs> Let's see. I I have some notes about episode 13 that I wanted to talk about as well. Um, so Gordon Rosewater, again, he's the supposedly the founder of Paradigm City. He's shown in like an old photo, uh, like a younger version of himself standing in front of the dome, shaking hands with someone uh, who we later find out is, is Roger. Um, and in episode 13, the season one finale, uh, he is talking to Roger and he he seems to be talking about tomatoes, but it's like a you know like a metaphorical conversation because uh, he is senile, but he does like he does know a lot of what's going on. Uh, so he says uh, these tomatoes are reproduced synthetically with only the memories of the sweet, flavorful original. If we keep repeating this process, it will eventually become the real thing. So he's saying that like humans have the latent potential to become exactly the way they were before everyone lost their memories. Uh, And he later says you need to pick the right time to harvest. Um, And uh, the, the plot for this episode was like some, uh, some people were like murdered and they found out that they were clones. So like, I think he was saying that those clones were killed because they, they weren't right. Yeah. And the clones that were killed had the memories of, um, I think it was, Gordon Rosewater and a few of the other founding members of the Paradigm Corporation. Yeah, and they also um, they have some interesting s- stuff about like the the free will versus determinism argument that they keep bringing up. So there's a character Red Dorothy who's like Dorothy but evil, and uh, she says at one point, uh. Let's see. Roger asks her, why are you doing this or something? And she says, I was following orders. It was as natural a thing to do as opening an umbrella in the rain. And then uh, near the conclusion of the episode, Roger says, we have choices. Some people like to stand in the rain without an umbrella. That's what it means to live free, which is, I I don't know, kind of a weird conception of free will, I guess. Yeah. What what do you guys think? I, I think, I think it was really strange that line from Roger, like him coming to that conclusion, because mm-hmm. I think it's the episode after that where he sort of decides that the role he's playing is the life he wants, yeah. that he's sort of like, 
I don't really care if I am someone else or could be someone else. I'm, I'm happy to be who I am. And that got me thinking about this kind of tension it keeps coming to about like memory and identity and reality versus simulation and like the synthetic tomatoes that become the real thing uh once they sort of you know take the place of the original uh by copying them there's this interesting basically the way i was seeing this show was that whenever somebody gets memories of the past what they tend to do is build a weapon, right? That's like consistently what we see is these Dr. Hell looking motherfuckers uh, building these silly robots and stuff to cause havoc. And then Roger's role is basically to like shut that shit down. Um, And it almost felt like what they could potentially be trying to do is like close Pandora's box in a way where it's like, okay, the world is destroyed by these weapons of war we've created. What if we recreate the world without any knowledge of the technology that brought it to ruin? Could we kind of restart the world without the thing that led to its ruin in the, in like the bedrock? Um, And then you have this basically like, all of the uh, theater imagery and the, you know, people saying they're playing roles, that they're actors. Uh, There's a point where Roger says that, like, he's an actor playing Roger Smith. Um, And if, if memories are what makes a person's identity and that imagination and memory are the same or, like, who you conceive of yourself being is no different than who you actually are. There's not a distinction to be drawn. You can come to a conclusion that what it's saying is, like, if if your identity is being prescribed to you by the history that you're born into, and you could find a way to basically write a script, a different script, for history and for people's identities to change the course of where things are going, is that not preferable given the circumstances of history as it stands, which is like this destructive thing? I I don't know that it necessarily comes to a conclusion, but maybe it does if the choice that's made at the end of the series is to just reset everything without the robots, right? Yeah. Yeah, one thing I thought was really interesting was in um, episode 17, uh, Schwarzwald is spreading you know, communist leaflets. Uh, he's like dropping them everywhere. And uh, the rich people are calling him an agitator, which is like, wow, they, they landed on the exact word that rich people used before they all lost their memories. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also liked, uh, they were saying that he, he can't do that. And Roger says, Schwarzwald has freedom of speech, doesn't he? And then some rich guy says, yes, but he doesn't have the freedom to recklessly mislead the public and stir up fear. (laughs) So is Schwarzwald the same uh, guy with the mummy face? Yes. And he's, he's, so he's a recurring character. Yeah. He's always, seems like a weirdo. Yeah, he's the dang joker. He is the dang joker, yeah. Is, uh, is Schwarzwald just twisted glenn greenwald yeah actually 
I was thinking he was Bizarro Schwartzwelder, uh, the Simpsons writer who's like a devout Ron Swanson-style libertarian. <laughs> I also think, uh, I, was, I was thinking of this earlier when you guys were talking about Roger being a rich guy. I, I kind of think he's uh, Tom Steyer. He's like, he, he sees himself on the side of the people, but he's just like too much of a dumb rich guy to like know the right thing to do. Yeah, but imagine like... It's also being played by Harrison Ford, and like the people are like, "Oh, we love you, Roger," and he's like, "I know." <laughs> like it's it doesn't it doesn't work. That sort of like anti-hero personality trait doesn't work with a guy you're trying to make the actual hero. Yeah, especially when they're this powerful of a figure. If he were like if he were like a schlubby you know schlubby investigative reporter or like you know, some washout from the military police or whatever, that would be more endearing. But the fact that he's this, like, ultra-wealthy billionaire fucking robot tyrant, like, it doesn't help his case, really. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, his best friend is a cop and also his boss. (laughs) But he's his boss that he doesn't have to listen to, right? Like, the whole, whole, like, every episode that I saw was just him saying fuck you to him every time which is pretty cool for sure for sure i mean it's like the that's the dream right is like you you're uh you're richer than your boss but you still like to hang out <laughs> it's my dream for my boss to be a cop so i can kill two birds with one stone <laughs> but he just hates his boss because he's like annoying and rings his doorbell once a week or something or like calls him on the phone. It's not even like a hatred that's derived from a power imbalance or an exploitation of labor or anything. It's just like, oh, he's fucking annoying. He's always trying to get me to do stuff that I don't have to do. Relatable. I think ultimately, though, he does side with the poor because like episodes 25 and 26 or so are him fighting uh, Alex Rosewater, who is the rich fail son of Gordon Rosewater, the founder of the city. And... They really like kind of portray it as a like type uh, like a class conflict um, to the point where like all of the working class people of the city who actually surprisingly uh, you know this isn't super common in anime they do look multiracial and not not like blackface characters because a lot of times when an anime character is black they look like you know uh, Jim Crow yeah minstrel. <laughs> Uh, yeah. performers yeah when when the busker is playing saxophone there's two kids standing by him that are like in awe of the saxophone and one of them is a black kid who does have like the homer simpson lip lines around his mouth it's oh. like what the fuck <laughs> is going on and there's that irish guy right yeah it's just offensive all across the board but yeah that that line i mentioned uh you'll feel the people's rage that that was said by roger to alex the the rich guy and um the whole time, you know, there's uh, these working class people. They're watching like what's happening on like these like telescreen sort of things. Like, like it had a kind of a 1984ish vibe. I think. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And to be fair, it does seem that Roger's often working for free with people who can't really afford to pay him. Um, like with the aforementioned Irish dude who owns that uh, hotel or apartment building, and he basically says, "I'll sign the deed over to this place to you." you know, if you'll do this job for me. And it doesn't seem like he ever follows through on that. Um, so, you know, he's he's handing out freebies. So he's not Mao. We know that. 
Well, he could be saying, like, this is too far. I haven't seen that episode, but he could be saying, like, hey, we got these people in check right now, you know? Like, we're doing okay with the giant robot every now and then. Uh, but if you push them too far, you know, I won't be able to control them anymore. I mean, he does confront Alex Rosewater directly in that episode with the uh, satellite that comes crashing down, where uh, he wants the, like, scrap materials from it, I think, for some reason. And, uh, you know, he basically busts into his office and is like, you can't let this thing crash because it's it's happening outside the domes. Don't you care about those people? And, you know, he basically is like, no. Um, and, he, you know, he takes, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's all those tomatoes out there. Um, and so there, there definitely is a sense that Roger is, like, looking out for the little guy, even though, you know, not really. I mean, not as good as he could. That reminds me, the, the voice actor for... Alex Rosewater is also the voice actor of Ed Wensler the first in Boondocks, who I mm. I think is one of the scariest villains of all time, and uh, you just reminded me of the one of the scenes with him where um, this like Jack Bauer type character is like, "Don't you have enough money?" and uh, Ed Wensler is just like, "No." <laughs> 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 yeah. So, sit very, uh, there's like an echo there uh, with the dome thing. <laughs> and there's that great scene where Roger sees the, like, construction bay for uh, Big Foul. And uh, uh, he's talking to Alex Rosewater and blah, blah, And he's just like, <clears throat> he's like, because I want power, Roger. And he's like, wait, wait a minute. I already have power. I just want a giant <laughs> robot, too. <laughs> What was that? Uh, what was that old uh, panel? I think it's from a Spider-Man comic or something like that. Where Spider-Man's like, "You have the power to control mutation. You could cure cancer. Don't you realize that?" And he's like, "I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know what the religiousness of the series is about. It's very interesting because that that episode with Heaven's Day or whatever. Uh, it ends with uh, Rosewater, the elder, I believe, being like escorted out of the city because the mo the quote monster, which has just been transformed into a Christmas tree, is like still in the city. So they're worried about what will happen. But the old man sees the Christmas tree, and he says to his like bodyguard or whatever, "Do you know what Heaven's Day was originally about?" And the guy says, "No, you know, because we're all we nobody does, idiot." And he's like. It's the day God's son was born. And then he goes back inside the building and they're like, what are you doing? You got to get out of here. But he's like, he's like filled with the grace of the Christian Lord at that moment <laughs> and goes back inside the building. Yeah, Alex Rosewater. Alex Rosewater is a um, evangelical eco-fascist. <laughs> yeah. One of the weirdest things about Japan is that for them, Christianity is like edgy. Well, that's, it's like, you could argue that the heaven's day thing is just, it creates a like, another facet of their culture in this TV show. And it's a good addition that way. And it like helps like round out the world and shape the world. And also like the way that it's a pastiche of Christmas, you know, lends itself to the idea that everybody's just forgotten what the fuck we're doing. And this is, I don't know, it was called heaven's day and we used to celebrate it or whatever. That's, that's cool. But then when one guy suddenly remembers that the Lord God's son was born on, you know, December 25th, it, it takes me out of it 
but not necessarily in a bad way just in a it it like i don't know strikes a very very peculiar note in in the in the series overall yeah i don't know why but that kind of reminded me of uh the scene in the original gundam where uh some zeon goon is saying like oh have you heard of adolf hitler he's a man from the middle ages (laughs) where you're like oh wait you guys know history (laughs) yeah Oh yeah, they have this weird thing they keep talking about. That's like, uh, it's supposed to be a sly reference to Angel until you find out. It's like very explicit uh, in the very last episode. But they keep saying that like a bird whose wings are clipped will like revert to the creature that it was before it evolved. Like kind of saying that like if you clip a bird's wings, it's just a dinosaur. <laughs> If you clip an angel's wings, it's a human. Damn, that's very anime. It's a very anime <laughs> yeah. thing to say. So I couldn't find any like really funny reviews. Um, I actually, Alex, started doing, I started reading uh, funny reviews from my anime list uh, inspired by your podcast. Some of them are very funny. I read a bunch of them, the Evangelion episode. But this one, people mostly give it a 10 out of 10 and think it's really good. Uh, the one thing that I did find that was pretty funny was uh, someone brought up what you guys were talking about earlier, which is that supposedly everyone lost their memory 40 years ago, but the young people also don't really have their memories. So Tiny Pink Ghosty says, the idea is that in some event 40 years ago, everyone lost their memory. Okay, that's easy enough to accept as a decent premise for a show, right? But, dot, 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 what about all the younger people? Yeah, for some reason, everyone has lost their memories at some point in the past, including our negotiator and main character who appears in his late 20s. As I watched the show, I developed a theory. These are not humans, but rather long-lived elves or evolved humanoids. See, that would explain the looks, both the young appearance and the crazy, tiny, pointed ears. Yeah, so this is like, <laughs> oh, Roger's actually 80 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's just he's just a wayfish, childlike elf. So this is like the elves from the, the Santa Claus. It's like that little girl that Tim Allen oh, yeah. <laughs> hits on, and she's like, thanks, but I'm engaged. <laughs> well, the way I look at media is anyone who's cool and male and the protagonist is exactly my age. So uh, I believe Roger Smith is about 32. Yeah, it's like that weird thing uh, in anime where like people who seem like they're probably in their mid-30s are like 24, and then everyone over the age of 30 looks like they're 70. Yeah, I, I did forget to say, uh, I, I, think the, I think they made a really good choice with the animation of making the character designs look fairly simplistic uh, so that they can spend their budget on yeah, the cool robot fights. I think that worked out for the best. The animation was great. Yeah. There was like a lot of scenes where he uses his lasers to cut tentacles or, or things like that. And you would actually see the tentacles be cut in real time as the laser was crossing them from left to right yeah. or whatever. Whereas like in a lot of these animes, it's just the laser goes across and then everything explodes, you know? Right. Um, that was that was pretty well done. And then like in the first episode when he's getting out of the car to negotiate or to do the host- hostage transfer the camera follows him from like inside the driver's seat of the car and then backs out of the car as he's getting out and tracks with his face up as he stands up. And it's just a really interesting shot that I don't really think I see very often in animation. Yeah, they do a lot of jump cuts usually. A lot of Dutch angles as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about production stuff is um, if the kind of 
art style and character designs look similar in this. Uh, a lot of the crew that worked on this show, and maybe the studio as well, actually did the Superman cartoon oh, wow. prior to this. Um, which, like, uh, what's his name? Instro, the the pianist mm-hmm. android, like, has a very Superman cartoon he character does, yeah. design. And whatever happened to him? He he was like, I think he was in like two or three episodes, and then he just disappeared. Yeah, there's like a later episode where he's teaching Dorothy piano for free because he's Roger's friend, uh, and um, <laughs> and then he never shows up again. I just kept thinking about that with uh, Oliver, the sax player, where it's like, oh, okay, we see how it is. Maybe Oliver is Instro, and he forgot. I love that Oliver was willing to like fall to his death to save his saxophone. I love that character. Yeah, moment. yeah. He's like, because the tree is like growing up beneath him, and like one of the branches has his saxophone on it, and he's on the other one, and they're like eighty stories in the air, and he's like, "No, I'm not letting you get my saxophone, I, I, my beloved saxophone," and he leaps across the gap to grab it, and then he falls, but uh, Roger's robot catches him. Oh, did anyone else think that uh, his voice actor sounded a lot like Otacon from Metal Gear? I actually never got into Metal Gear, so I wouldn't I wouldn't know, unfortunately. Okay. I don't know that it's the same voice actor, but it's very similar. He has a very distinct voice. All right, so attempt number three to conclude. Thank you, everyone, for coming on. Alex, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, just go ahead and listen to Minion Death Cult. Uh, it's leftist politics as viewed through right-wing boomer comment sections on Facebook. Um, it's as funny and horrifying as it sounds. Yeah, it's in my top three podcasts easily. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. This was a great episode. Uh, and keep your, please, if you don't mind, keep your Google Drive open. I want to finish the series. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, happy to. Highly recommended for for anybody who hasn't seen it. I, I fell in love with it pretty immediately. I don't know if you can see it from that folder, but uh, there's another series that I uploaded for a friend of mine called Gunbuster that I also highly recommend. I won't be doing a, an episode on it because it's it's only six episodes, but uh, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I'll check that out afterward. Yeah, yeah Gunbuster yeah. rules. I'm watching uh, the sequel Diebuster now. Um, in between, like when I when I get bored of Giant Gorg, which is when I'm doing an episode on, I cut over to Diebuster. Anyway, uh, Evan, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I'm working on a couple creative projects right now that I'm hoping to have out sometime this year. Um, so at uh, Evan Lowry One on Twitter is my Twitter. Um, maybe something will show up there soon. Cool. So for us, uh, you know, this is part of uh, Mecha Madness, a miniseries that I'm doing on giant robot anime. So check out the other episodes. We've so far done Gundam and Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, Both, I think, are very good. And uh, we have a a Teespring that has uh, some shirt designs that I've done that I think are pretty rad. I don't I always forget to plug that. So. Uh, check those out. I'll, I'll put the link in the show description. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thanks, everyone. I actually have one more plug that I forgot to include when I was doing the show here. Uh, I'm not used to having events going on, but uh, we are doing a live stream as part of Mecha Madness of the Five Star Stories movie on Leap Day, February 29th at 7 p.m. EST. And uh, you can watch that at twitch.tv slash drunkydluffy.
Someone we could 